This week, new reporting on Donald Trump's handling of records. A North Carolina election board says it will sue Madison Cawthorn and the GOP's reaction to the censure of Representative Kensinger and Cheney, why it's largely in their favor. My name's Noah Huey, and this is Under the Stars. Welcome back, everyone, for another great episode. Um, no, no, we're not calling it that. I'm not calling it another great episode. What is this, a YouTube video? That was terrible. Welcome to another episode of this podcast. Thanks so much for tuning in. Um, my name is Noah Huey, as you probably have guessed at this point. Uh, before we begin, I'd just like to remind you to follow my Instagram. That's at Huey Noah. That's at H-U-G-H-E-Y-N-O-A-H. That's at Huey Noah. And make sure to subscribe to Under the Stars on YouTube for exclusive clips of my favorite uh, segments of the podcast. Uh, you can find Under the Stars on Spotify and Apple Podcasts. The video is exclusively available on Spotify if that's what you're interested in. But on either of those, make sure... Um, or anywhere you listen to your podcasts, make sure to give Under the Stars a review. Uh, good, bad, um, I almost said ugly, but bad and ugly would basically mean the same thing in this context, so the joke wouldn't have made much sense, um, but it would be greatly appreciated either way. You can also support my show through my merch and my books in the shop section of my website. be greatly appreciated, but not required. So this week is actually a lot of news happening and, and surrounding either former President Trump or the uh, the Republican Party in specific. So that's what today's episode is going to be particularly about, some of the troubles that the GOP has either put itself in or um, or uh, was in before, I suppose, I guess, in kind of in uh, reminder. Now, see, this always happens with an independent ar- article. I will say I'm either in or it will... Ask me to register again. Oh, here's the login button. I was finding... I was trying to look for the login button. Let's try this. My bad. Silly Noah never prepares. All right. Here we go. So the first piece of news... Our first piece of news... Well, our first two pieces of news involve former President Trump and his, um, his habit known in the business world of tearing up documents... Uh, applying in the White House. Uh, new reporting is, has found that um, Trump had a habit of tearing up documents um, regularly during, as pre- during his presidency um, and uh, the, I guess, stealing of certain records that the National Archives had to get. Let's go ahead and open up the, the next piece as well since it's about the same thing. So first piece of news is that uh, new report reports are finding that Trump had burn bags with shredded White House records in violation of the uh, Presidential Records Act. Um, Donald Trump's well-known habit of ripping up documents did not stop once he entered the White House, where staff reportedly resorted to taping together piles of shredded paper. But the practice was, quote, far more widespread and indiscriminate than previously known, end quote, and extended throughout his four years in office, according to the Washington Post. White House documents, from schedules to sensitive memos, were regularly ripped into quarters and tossed into trash bins or on the floor of Air Force One, or stuffed into, quote-unquote, burn bags to be incinerated at the Pentagon, only for aides to sort through the contents to 
determine which bits needed to be preserved under federal law, the newspaper reported. Under the Presidential Records Act, the White House must maintain all documents touched by the president to be preserved by the National Archives and the Records Administration. The former president's reportedly relentless habit of destroying sensitive documents was clearly in violation of the law, according to Courtney, uh, I think it's pronounced Chartier or Chartier, uh, president of Society of American Ar Archivists. She told the newspaper, quote, there is no ignorance of these laws. There are White House manuals about the maintenance of these records, end quote. To avoid such scrutiny, aides from either the office or the staff secretary or the Oval Office, office of the staff secretary or the Oval Office operations would clean up piles of discarded documents once the former president left the room, while staff from the White House office records management would be responsible for jigsawing the pieces together using clear tape, according to the Post. Documents recently obtained by the House Select Committee investigating the attack on the U.S. Capitol received Trump-era White House documents that had been taped together after previous attempts to destroy them. The National Archives confirmed that documents the agency received included paper records that had been torn up by former President Donald Trump. Now, there is some reporting that's conflicting that there are cases in which the tearing of the documents was done um, just out of, I suppose, rage or spite in the moment <clears throat> that President Trump would, well, like it does claim, indiscriminately... Um, tear up documents at will. However, that doesn't necessarily mean that's only what's missing uh, or what's been um, destroyed before. It also um, sets a really bad image. In fact, there I think there's even newer reporting, and uh, I'll, I'll double check this um, just to make sure um, I am correct. There is more recent reporting, as in in the last two days, that found that whenever Trump figured out that certain records of his that he had been tearing up were being taped together by White House officials, they were then being flushed down the toilets, as reported by Maggie Haberman in her new book. Um, um, Trump, I suppose, had an interview about it. Former President Donald Trump on Thursday denied a claim that he flushed documents down a White House toilet and that he was told he was, no long, uh, he was under no obligation to turn over his administration's records, which files the face of presidential records law. Also, another fake story that I flushed papers and documents down the White House toilet is categorically untrue and simply made up by a reporter in order to get the publicity for, the mo for a mostly fictitious book. Trump said in a statement released by his Save America PAC after Axios reported on experts of the New York Times reporter Maggie Haberman's upcoming book, Confidence Man. Jennifer Jacobs, a Bloomberg White House reporter, said Haberman's reporting about the documents was 100% accurate and that the sources of the time confirmed uh, staff uh, found torn up pieces of paper in toilets and thought that Trump was behind it. Trump has faced days of questions and reports over his apparent fl flouting of the Presidential Records Act, which requires every White House pr to preserve memos, documents, and other memorabilia considered the property of the American people. Um, now, naturally, I I'm not going to take Trump at his word because historically the man has only told the truth um, if it makes him look good. Any other, th any other form of quote-unquote truth is going to be covered up if it doesn't make him look like I mean, heaven on earth, essentially. And um, this kind of in coordination with the next piece of news that I'm going to talk about, which is very similar, it's on the same tone as, the, as this piece of news, kind of flouts a form of um, ignorance and self-righteousness that President Trump had in office, and I suppose had that we, I mean, we were already aware of so much, but even that of which we had no idea existed even more of a, I suppose, self-righteous um, aura about it. And ultimately, even if you want to be fair and give him the benefit of the doubt, there's one thing, and I, I've talked about this a couple times, having talked about um, him and these new reports about all these things he's done uh, in his White House that are just now kind of surfacing. 
Um, something I always mentioned in my book, Maga the Trump Experiment, was that even if you could say, you know, if, if we could give him the benefit of the doubt, even if we did do that, um, you can't deny that all of these types of actions are are um, incredibly suspicious uh, in that there, there's no way you can look at that and say, no, that is completely normal. That doesn't implicate any kind of legal or moral wrongdoing that he's done anything wrong and he's still the best president America's ever had. I think that kind of behavior um, devalidates that kind of mindset about around his presidency, even if you are a fan um, of his presidency, which there are certain reasons why you could be. Um, but uh, this in particular kind of reinforces a narrative I've, I've kind of built over the years um, and with some of the information and kind of just my commentary on his presidency, the narrative I've built through my commentary that, that even with his um, successes, it, it all stemmed from a sense of self-righteousness and, and narcissistic legacy building. It was a lot of legacy building on, you know, the second he heard conservative pundits calling him the next Abraham Lincoln, he decided that's what was going to be his legacy. I mean, it, that's why his his uh, political action committee is called Save America. That's why his entire brand has been turned into Save America. He, his entire brand as a, as a political figure relies solely on fear-mongering that without him and his ideology in, con, in strict control over the tenets of government and culture, uh, the United States of America is bound to crumble and collapse and die. Um, and so he's with that as his, I suppose, um, brand, he, the idea that he is doing anything that could potentially threaten that engine of democracy or that tenet of government and culture um, uh, dissuades voters from believing that and, and obviously undermines their confidence in electing a man such as him, which I, I think is safe to say probably a better thing, a, a good thing. At least in my biased opinion, it's a better thing if people lose confidence in him as a, as a political figure. Um, because it doesn't matter how many jobs he can create or how good the economy can be under him because it was admittedly good. Um, that ultimately does not matter anymore because it's clear he's willing to sacrifice democracy and sacrifice um, integrity to achieve those ends. And he doesn't care who gets hurt. He'll just he'll just lambast them as evil or stupid. I mean, he's everything he criticizes. I mean, you want to talk about this. I hate the narrative around Washington outsiders. We, we elect so many people that we call, quote unquote, Washington outsiders. And they're like people who do absolutely nothing different from the people who have been in Washington for 70 plus years. That's an exaggeration, but 40 plus years if we want to talk about Biden in particular as, a, as an example of a Washington quote unquote insider. But these, these Washington outsider types who, who claim that, oh, I've never been in politics, therefore I'm somehow better at it than everyone. That, all that tells me, based on the majority of their records, is, is that they... It turns out being inside or outside of Washington does not change how delusional and politically corrupt you can be. All it takes is being human, I think. Um, you have to defy ma major parts of human nature, I think, in order to be a truly effective and, and, and quote-unquote good politician. Um, on this same note, 15 boxes of White House records uh, were recovered at the Mar-a-Lago Mar Resort um, by the National Archives. Um, the National Archives and Records Administration, NARA, has said it retrieved 15 boxes of White House records and other items that were stored at former President Trump's Mar-a-Lago property instead of the National Archives. As first reported by the Washington Post, 
The documents retrieved last month from the Florida property contained important records of uh, communication along with Trump's self-described love letters with North Korean letter, leader Kim, Kim Jong-un, as well as a letter addressed to Trump from his predecessor, former President Barack Obama. According to the newspaper, keeping the boxes of records at Mar-a-Lago violated the Presidential Records Act, which required that the government keep all forms of documents and communications related to a president's or vice president's official duties. As required by the act, the records discovered at Mar-a-Lago should have been transferred to the NARA from the White House at the end of the Trump administration in January 2021. Quote, the Presidential Records Act mandates that all presidential records must be properly preserved by each administration so that a, co a complete set of presidential records is transferred to the National Archives at the end of the administration, quote, end quote, said David Ferrero, archivist of the United States. In a statement released by the National Archives Public and Media Communications, the agency said it arranged for the transport of 15 boxes containing the presidential records from Trump's Florida property last month following discussions with President Trump's representatives in 2021. Representatives for Trump informed NARA they are continuing to search for additional presidential records that belong to the National Archives, according to the National Archives. Trump advisors told The Post that they deny any nefarious intent that the 15 boxes contain mementos, gifts, letters that from world leaders and other correspondents. Um... News of the boxes discovered Trump's uh, came after. Yeah, yeah, that's talking about the damaged records. Now, while the damaged records, I think, imply a, a far, I think, imply much more nefarious. It's harder to argue against the, the narrative that any kind of nefarious um, involvement was um, part of the ripping up of documents, especially when we know that certain documents, while the toilet thing is inferred, we know it firsthand because of the reports of certain aides that certain documents he had were in fact ripped up by the hands of Donald Trump himself. Um, I think that implies much more nefarious than a guy keeping boxes, boxes of, you know, uh, letters from world leaders and stuff. I don't necessarily think that's so much nefarious as it is him being, either oblivious or just unaware of certain responsibilities, which I, I find really hard to believe just because I, you know, that's just not how a, a white house works. There's no, like certainly there's not the white house is just com not going through these things with him before time. They're not like, Oh, that's right. We f totally forgot to tell him about that. Um, so either he's just being selfish and like, Oh, I want to keep my letter from Obama and my letters between me and Kim Jong-un. Um, uh, you could try and imply nefarious intent, but I think at that point, if if that's what you're doing, um, you're really just sort of uh, imposing your biases to try to purposefully inflate Trump's um, supposed evil so that you can um, incriminalize him, which, um, you know, it, it's been made very clear by liberal detractors of Trump's. That, oh, this goes against the Presidential Records Act, which from what um, surface level research I've done and from what is being relayed, it, it seems that the vast majority of these actions are, in fact, technically illegal under the Presidential Records Act. Um, but I'd be much more concerned about the ripped up papers than I would be a box of mementos from his White House that he probably just tried to keep to himself because he thinks it's nice and he doesn't. You know, this is a guy who thinks he's above the rules um, for, I think, the vast majority of the things that he does. His businesses have proved that. So many times that his businesses have had the book thrown at them, and he's, it's always just like minor stuff because he thinks he can just do whatever he wants. He's got a very narcissistic personality like that, which I guess kind of makes, in some instances, it, it makes a good leader to have a little bit of narcissism. But when you lean so heavily into it that you think that, that, that you that you existing in politics is what's going to quote unquote save America when your entire political brand is around saving America from anything that isn't what you believe and approve of. 
kind of gets to kind of gets to a point where it's a little little too much, especially when you're ripping up official records that cannot be ripped up according to federal law. So it's interesting. Um, it there's probably you know you can infer certain nefarious intent. Um, Sorry, I got something on my tongue. You can uh, infer certain nefarious intent if you want. I'm more concerned about ripped up documents. That's highly suspicious. Um, But mementos I'm not so much concerned about, I suppose. Um, So I wouldn't be so much worried about that as I might be about um, something else. Um, And I don't know. It's just an, an, it's an odd thing. And I just, I wish people would look a little more serious into these things instead of conservatives kind of rubbing or... Um, brushing off everything that doesn't seem right with Trump as just liberal lies or whatever, like as if it doesn't matter. Like here's, I get that you like him, that you like his policies. I mean, there are certain policies, again, he handled the economy fantastically. It's it's one of the one things I'll rave and rant about, about Trump is that his handling of the economy, um, except when COVID started was the best I've seen in a presidential administration in quite some time. Um, At least in my lifetime. And based on what I've you know, researched about former administration. So, uh, you know, stuff like that, stuff like I think Operation Warp Speed was fantastic. If it wasn't for Operation Warp Speed, the Biden administration wouldn't have been able to do half of what it's done. So, I mean, there are certain things that that President Trump did on certain issues that I think were really helpful. And I'm sure he had other ideas or his, his administrational, you know, planners had certain ideas that would have worked. But, you know, there's a ton of evidence that a lot of at least suspicious things are happening around him that get closer and closer to him personally or his personal circle that just doesn't look right and and you can't just brush that under the you can't just brush that off you know you can't just brush that under the rug because because of political convenience you know this is the problem with people in politics thinking that winning and being you know wrecking the libtards is 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 better or more important than just doing the darn right thing Doing the right thing is always going to be the morally superior thing to do, in my opinion. And you, and I know that's such a broad and undefendable claim, doing the right thing. But I feel like you can interpret it in a way that implies that, you know, if the president's ripping up official documents, um, especially very many. Oh, that's right. There was another thing, I, a piece of reporting. Apparently, certain some documents from a very specific timestamp from January 6th are missing. I have no idea if that has anything to do. But when stuff like that happens, when documents are being ripped up, documents are being essentially stolen, documents are going missing that are integral to what to perhaps being the smoking gun to whether or not you wanted to incite an insurrection to overturn the results of the election you lost. Um, you can't just brush that under the rug for political convenience so that you can quote unquote win. That just shows that you have no idea how democracy works and how a democratic government should work. It shows that you're a tyrant wearing the mask of, of democratic and patriotic love so that you can trick stupid people into giving you power. And that's all you care about is power so that you can use it and abuse it to enforce cultural and political norms that make you comfortable. And you don't care if they hurt people. You only care if they make people who agree with you feel good because you think that everyone that disagrees with you is stupid or evil and just doesn't deserve to be safe or happy or comfortable because it's their fault. Newsflash, it's not. That's not how it works. That's the dumbest possible philosophy you could have in politics. And for some reason, it's the most prevalent and popular one yet. It's another reason why I believe the intellectually lazy have hijacked all forms of discourse to lean in their direction so that they can do little to no work and be these incredibly selfish, narcissistic, lazy people and get tons of money, wealth, and fame. Money and wealth. That's the same thing, Noah. 
wealth, fame, notoriety. I mean, it's a terrible, terrible thing. And it's what leads to people like Donald Trump from getting an office. And you can't just brush his bad behavior under the rug as, as no big deal because it becomes less and less of a not big deal when it starts interfering with stuff like the election and stuff like the presidential records that could play as the smoking gun to your actions that could be potentially illegal. And you, you can't, you just can't do that. That's not responsible. That's not mature. And that's not civil. And you have no right to sit here and claim that it is in any way, shape or form, in my opinion. It's absolutely disgraceful. And um, I just wish that President Trump would be more, be more honest about it, be more open about it, be a, be a man which I know is like a very stereotypical thing to say, but honestly, just man up and admit when you're wrong instead of being a petulant child. It's pathetic. Absolutely pathetic. Moving on to our next piece of news, um, which... Uh, moving on to our next piece of news, um, Madison Cawthorn, uh, North Carolina Board of Elections, says they've got a lawsuit against Representative Cawthorn, um, and they're saying it, it should proceed. So the North Carolina State Board of Elections, excuse me, the State Board of Elections, I don't know why I thought it was not the state one, anyway, said on Tuesday that the challenges from voters to Congressman Madison Cawthorn's candidacy for re-election should proceed despite his own lawsuit to stop the process. And the two filings submitted to the U.S. District Court for the Eastern District of North Carolina State attorneys called the Republican lawmakers' arguments dubious, and any perceived burden as claimed by Cawthorn is outweighed by the interest of the state and its people. In January, left-leaning North Carolina voters urged the State Board of Elections to disqualify Cawthorn because of his participation in the January 6th rally in Washington that preceded a violent riot on Capitol Hill. Cawthorn, the youngest member of currently serving in Congress, sued three weeks later, claiming the statute violated his First Amendment rights. If the challenge were to move forward, Cawthorn would essentially have to testify under oath about his role on January 6th, as well as conversations with former President Donald Trump about efforts to delegitimize and or overturn the 2020 election. Quote, Running for office is not only a great privilege, it is a right protected under the Constitution, Representative Cawthorn, who represents parts of Western North Carolina, said, quote, I love this country and have never engaged in or would ever engage in an insurrection against the United States. Regardless of this fact, the disqualification clause and North Carolina's challenge, challenge statute is going to be used as a weapon by liberal Democrats in order to attempt to defeat our democracy by having state bureaucrats rather than the people choose who represent North Carolina in Congress. I'm defending not only my rights, but the right of the people to democratically elect their representatives, end quote. Cawthorn's court filings also cited the Amnesty Act of 1872, which paved the way for some members of the Confederacy to serve in the U.S. government. The 14th Amendment to the U.S. Constitution reads, No one can serve in Congress who, having previously taken an oath as a member of Congress to support the Constitution of the United States, shall uh, have engaged in insurrection or rebellion against the same, end quote. North Carolina state statutes, moreover, give voters the right to challenge a candidate's running for office as of reason, suspicion, or belief, and the person may be accused may have burden to prove his or her eligibility and show a, um, a, prepon a preponderance of the ev evidence of the evidence of qualifications to run. Quote, a reasonable suspicion is nothing more than a triggering mechanism for the challenge proceedings, says, attorney says attorneys for the Board of Elections said in Tuesday's brief, adding that, it's, that it is for a quasi-judicial panel to decide whether the candidate meets the legal qualifications to stand for election which would give, give Cawthorn his due process. Quote, the interest of the public is to have him, is to, of the public, to have presented to them a slate of qualified candidates as fundamental to representative government and more than outweighs any burden that may be imposed by North Carolina's challenge statute, end quote. Um, actually, I do want to read this part. Um, 
Regarding the 1872 Amnesty Act, the NCSBE blasted the argument as unavailing and added that it was a one-time waiver for former members of the Confederacy, not a precedent for future generations. Um, Yeah, yeah, more voters complained. Um, It's an interesting thought. I had never really considered it. I'm trying to, there's a, you've got to process this, these types of news very carefully because my initial gut response is say, yeah, do it. But that's just because I don't like Cawthorn. I think he's irresponsible. I think he's reckless. I think he's a borderline idiot. And I think that um, he's no good for America's democratic system as he redefines democracy as me winning and everyone else losing. And that's the end and beginning of everything. Now, of course, that's a generalization of his beliefs, but it's very clear that he only supports democracy when Republicans win and that democracy is only under threat if Democrats do it. Anyone else, so long as they have more conservative beliefs, I feel pretty confident saying Madison Cawthorn would feel perfectly fine with any kind of delegitimization of democracy, because that's how I think political ideologies work. I feel like I I feel like I've got um, sufficient um, circumstantial evidence to to say with um, reasonable doubt, that um, that political ideologies just function on a level of, 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 of um, neurological processing that I just don't fully understand, and a, a level of neurological processing that I believe always comes to the conclusion that they are right and everyone else is wrong morally, intellectually, constitutionally, democratically. Just they, they in their minds, democracy and the agency of democracy is an is a is an idea, is a policy, is a system that functions almost exclusively under their belief system, and that's the beginning and end of everything. And um, I think that that polarization of those beliefs has begun to get stronger and stronger and stronger and stronger as the years have gone by. And I think Donald Trump was a big part as to why it's so strong today in both parties. And I think that while that in large part is true. It's just, the thing is, while I do agree with the people who, let's be honest, are probably mostly liberal uh, Democratic voters who are complaining about Madison Cawthorn's running, at the same time, I can't just act as if those people are acting strictly in good faith. The problem is, I, I feel fairly convinced of saying that liberals and conservatives will always redefine and reshape the idea of democracy and of government itself as something that only benefits them because they have become they have become so far entrenched in the idea that their ideology is this pure superior super, this purely superior agency that can do no wrong and that's a big problem when you when you think that and the thing is they don't think they think that nobody because the thing is that's that's like blatantly del- delusional which again which is why I, I often refer to this ambiguous political delusion or ideological delusion that's what ideological delusion is it's always coming to the conclusion that your side your tribe your your party is the good guy is right is moral is righteous and has to get what it wants and that's I feel like more and more that is what political ideologies just do inherent. And they have to be careful how they word it because saying that out loud sounds ridiculous and stupid and would lose you every election you say. But not. But that, that I do believe that that is a fundamental um, pathology of political ideologies. Um, 
And so I don't want to make it out as if I think that everyone criticizing Madison Cawthorn and saying he needs to go to jail or whatever, I, I guess just not be able to run. I'm not saying that those people are like perfectly virtuous and noble and, and, and aren't doing this for strictly political reasons. I mean, they are. That, Like I said, both sides, I think, tend to be pretty comfortable redefining democracy as something that is strictly theirs to inherit and theirs to control. Because again, they I, I feel like they believe um, fundamentally that they are just morally, intellectually, and all out superior than any other ideology on earth. And that if they just had all the power possible and used it in the way they saw fit and only they saw fit, but America would be, would finally reach its like apex. It'd be like Pax Americana. But, um, not only do I think they're wrong, I think they're, they're completely in denial of any form of, of reality in and of itself. I mean, um, and this is going off on a tangent, but if I may, uh, democracy, especially American democracy in particular, something I always admire about it is that it, it doesn't benefit any one group because there are certain things and ideas that work and may benefit any, everyone, or it may benefit enough people, um, in a country this big and diverse, not everyone needs everything you need. So f- let's say you're a person who supports um, government, uh, government-funded healthcare, a healthcare for all system, a public option um, funded by the the federal government. Um, there are a multitude of reasons why you would support that. And uh, like me personally, I just think having that option, I think the problem it comes to down to the idea of costs and premiums and uh, premiums and um, not dividends. I don't know. That doesn't sound right. Anyway, the the cost of healthcare um, can often be a burden, and and if if it's viable, if it's viable, and it won't just end up screwing up our um, not just the national debt, but just you know we won't have to charge more in taxes on people. Because and people say I've heard people say you can just tax all the rich people, but from all the numbers I'm seeing, I mean even Joe Biden himself, I believe, cited numbers that found that taxing all the rich people in the entire nation would only, I think, pay for about four months of health care for everyone who would probably need it. And that's just a rough estimation. Um, and I don't know... Um, I, I don't know about all that, the political side of that, but I, I, I am aware that, that that just doesn't seem viable right now. But I do think it's something that should become viable and should be a, a, an option one day, hope, sooner rather than later, um, because I think it would benefit some people. However, I don't think everyone in the entire country should be required to have the public option. Some people are perfectly fine paying for private insurance and, in fact, probably like their private insurance and health care and are able to afford health care. I, I moved to insurance for some reason. I'm talking about health care insurance. But um, some people are perfectly fine with private health care as it is and have no problem with it. Um, when you... What I hear a lot is a lot of people say is that that's like, oh, the vast majority of people. Let's not play majority versus minority here, okay? Let's never, ever argue anything on the lines of majority versus minority because the majority of people supported slavery, the majority of people supported the Nazis, and the majority of people supported the the restriction of rights for women. So I don't think arguing on the lines of majority is a very intelligent or uh, morally conscious thing to do. However, arguing on the on the lines of what... what it, I think one preserves your ability to remain a free individual to to um, uh, uh, pursue the things you want, as well as a safe individual. Safety can can mean anything from healthcare to making sure you um, 
have the uh, peace of mind that you're not going to be killed in your sleep or anything like that. Um, it's a very broad statement, but I think it's broad on purpose because if you specify it, then there are certain cases that are then left out so that you would just end up having to make it broader anyway. Point being, there are certain things that not everyone needs. Not everyone needs pu a public health care option. Not everyone uh, needs gender-affirming health care. Not everyone... Um, not everyone needs, I suppose, uh, God, I'm sorry. I, I'm thinking about five things at once. I, I like moved from football to religion to roads in about 10 seconds. That was, <laughs> I overstimulated myself there. Um, point overall being not everyone needs what you need. And to assert that what you need is morally and intellectually and just just flat out better than what anyone else needs and if you had and if you got what you wanted then everyone would benefit point blank now and forever that's just blatantly delusional of the reality that that's not how problems work you don't solve a problem that's multifaceted by plugging it in on one end and saying job well done if you had a bag that was full of multiple holes, putting tape over the hole on the bottom is not going to stop anything from falling out of all the other holes above it. That's how I, the way I think of problems that affect our society and our country. And the problem with people like Madison Cawthorn and even the people who are, are saying we should sue him and get him out of and get him out of the running. <laughs> The problem is they only care about reaffirming that they are right and that by plugging in this one hole that I see, that I think is a problem, that affects me most, that everyone will benefit. But that's not how it works because that completely denies the reality that every problem is more likely than it's not going to be an incredibly multifaceted issue that affects multiple people in different ways. For instance, the Super Bowl's coming up this weekend. Um... And, you know, there are a lot of people that either are betting on it or, or, or just, you know, maybe they're trying to figure out uh, about, um, for instance, there's a, there's worry that there may not that price that there may be inflation with the, the kind of um, snacks they're going to have or food items they're going to have. Um, maybe some people are worried about television service or something like that for some reason. Um, it's going to affect people. Let's say you're a person who's hosting a Super Bowl party. Right. And you need to get a spread out. Um, a food for people who are going to be coming to your Super Bowl party. Well, perhaps the potential inflation of Super Bowl party items that are commonly associated with Super Bowl parties and stuff like that goes up. That's going to affect you. Me, who doesn't watch football at all, will not be affected whatsoever by the inflation of those prices unless it's something... Let's say, for instance, you planned on ordering a pizza that day. That might affect me because maybe I plan on ordering a pizza that day. Not for the Super Bowl, but for something completely unrelated. That's what I mean when I say issues are multifaceted. You know, stuff like healthcare, stuff like, stuff like, even stuff like, yeah, human rights affects people differently. That's why often people worry about, um, let's say, you're trans. You feel that sometimes there are people who are cisgender who don't quite understand. Now, of course, being trans in and of itself is a massively complicated issue with so many different um, psychological and, and sociological um, um, issues that, have, that are, are play a part of it. It's not just good versus evil is the point I'm making. It's not just I'm the good guy and you're the bad guy and if you don't give me what I want, you hate me and you don't want me to be happy. That's usually not the case. But often when people try and say we should only do the thing that affects me most and completely disregard everyone else, they either disregard them as evil or stupid or they just don't acknowledge that side of the story. They don't think that, that they're thinking, no, that's not going to affect them that way because you don't realize 
realize that the situ is more multifaceted than that. The same thing applies with Madison Cawthorn. He's pulling off these random laws from 1872 that applied to Confederates because he wants to be in office, and he doesn't think that that, that would set a bad precedent. Hint, hint, that would set a terrible precedent, which is why it was not meant to set a precedent, letting Confederates uh, um, be in office, I suppose. Um, and it just becomes a massive problem that that people on who are politically partisan refuse to recognize. And those people have to recognize it because if they don't, their solutions may work temporarily and may work for them, but it might hurt other people. And to kind of remove myself from this tangent, which I think is very important, but to remove myself from this tangent, I want to come back to the point that, you know, Madison Cawthorn and these people will redefine democracy and what it means to be a democratic republic so long as it benefits them. And I think we need to remind ourselves of that, though I have to say on a biased level, I do believe that Madison Cawthorn shouldn't run just because I don't like his rhetoric. I, I don't like a, a number of his policy uh, policy proposals, though some of them I've actually quite liked, but it's it's the stuff I like from him is the most basic stuff. Like let's, um, I believe he passed up or he promoted a, and passed a piece of legislation that um, uh, did something in, uh, involved with veteran care. I thought that was a great thing, but it's such a very small thing that it's like anything that gets larger than that, and he starts going crazy and saying, "Let's only do what my ideology wants," uh, um, and it's it gets annoying. So. It's a multifaceted issue, and as all issues are, and um, it's just hard to, you know, come to one or two conclusions about it. So I think that's just important to remind ourselves of. So a reminder real quick, uh, make sure to follow my Instagram. That's at Huey Noah. That's at H-U-G-H-U-Y-N-O-A-H. That's at Huey Noah. And subscribe to Under the Stars on YouTube for exclusive clips of my favorite moments and um, uh, stuff from the show. Sorry, my nose is excruciatingly itchy like it was last week. You can also find Under the Stars on Spotify for the video or Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts for the audio. Make sure wherever you listen, you give it a review. It would be greatly appreciated, whether it's bad or good. Um, also, support the show if you're interested through the merch through my through my merch and my books in the shop section of my website. be greatly appreciated. Thanks so much. Our next piece of news um, refers to something we actually talked about last week. Is the last thing I mentioned last week. The GOP-centered... Um, uh, Adam Kinzinger and Liz Cheney for being on the January 6th committee, which I, I lambasted for a moment as reckless and set a bad precedent. However, I think as much as 36 Republicans responded in the last week or so to the censure, um, to the RNC censure, with a, a bit of expressed doubt and disarray and, and upsetness of it, um, which I'm very proud of. Uh, a, a case... Um, a case study that we're going to be looking at um, to exemplify part of this issue in the Republican Party is McConnell, Mitch McConnell and Kevin McCarthy's reactions, respectively, to the censure resolution, which were very different. So the top two Republican leaders in Congress were at odds on Tuesday over the Republican National Committee's recent result resolution that formally censured GOP representatives Liz Cheney and Adam Kinzinger for serving on the House Select Committee investigating the January 6th insurrection. Senate Minority Leader Mitch McConnell Pressed by CNN's uh, Manu Raju on, C on the RNC's de decision to refer to that day as legitimate political discourse in the resolution, said that what occurred on January 6, 2021 at the U.S. Capitol was a violent insurrection. We were all here. We saw what happened, McConnell, a Kentucky Republican, said Tuesday. It was a violent insurrection for the purpose of trying to prevent the peaceful transfer of power after a legitimately certified election from one administration to the next. That's what it was. In a rare break with the RNC, McConnell said the committee should not be si singling out members of our party who may 
may have different views from the majority, adding that it's not the job of the RNC. Traditionally, the view of the National Party Committees is we support all members of our party, regardless of their positions on some issues. He noted, however, that he still has confidence in the RNC chair, uh, Ronna McDaniel. Um, House Minority Leader Kevin McCarthy, meanwhile, defended the RNC's use of legitimate political discourse, claiming that the RNC had been referring to the House Select Committees for subpoenas to RNC officials who were in Florida at the time of the Capitol attack. Anybody who broke it and caused damage, that was not called for. Those people, we've said from the very beginning, should be in jail, McCarthy told CNN. The California Republican did not name the individuals, but one of his aides said the McDaniels informed him that there were six RNC members targeted by the panel. An RNC official confirmed that two discussed... The two discussed six current and former RNC officials who have been subpoenaed by the panel and referred CNN to a list of individuals who have come under scrutiny. On that list, the committee has targeted some current and former RNC members to probe the effort to use fake electors in swing states in an apparent attempt to allow them to be used by alternates in a duly elected state. Um, this kind of highlights a break in the party that's that's been, I think, exemplified from day one. Um, since since the 2020 election, that the party is having a massive identity crisis. It's either going with Trump and saying, let's just do the narcissism, ideological supremacy, delusion thing, or let's be at least a little gratified and a little um, understanding that we're not gods, which is something I respect Cheney and Kinzinger for, even though I don't fully you know, I'm pro, ah, da, da, da. Like, like, so like, for instance, I signed up for Adam Kinzinger's um, organization country first because after following him and following it for a while i feel pretty confident that it's a great organization that could do good things for for both if not all parties in america and for american political discourse in general um but oh i totally forgot my where i was going with that point anyways that's something that's happened you know just you know, I, I, I'm, I, I'm much more in favor of Republicans who are willing to say January 6th sucked, but I still like conservative stuff. Like, that's fine. If, if, you, if, you, think public, if you think a public health care option, for example, is bad, but you also think that January 6th was a terrible, awful thing that shouldn't have happened, that's great. I'll probably like you more than I'm going to like someone who, who doesn't like, who thinks a public health care option is bad and also thinks that January 6th was perfectly fine and there was nothing wrong with it and there's no need to investigate it, it or Donald Trump whatsoever. Like, I'm going to trust you over the other guy because, in my mind, you You've got a little more integrity, which is why I'm 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 glad that the that Mitch has 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 admitted this. Uh, um, I'm glad that he's done that, and obviously I don't expect this, or I didn't expect um, McCarthy to react any other way, being him being Kevin McCarthy. But it does set up a very contentious battle between both Mitch McConnell and Kevin McCarthy, who both have certain expressed, um, perhaps. Um, uh, eyes, perspective eyes on the speaker's chair, though I've heard this more about Kevin McCarthy than I have um, Mitch McConnell, so that's interesting to hear. Again, this it just highlights this disconnect in the Republican Party that's going on where they can't decide their identity. And whoever wins out this little battle, which I hate phrasing it that way because that just kind of points again to the one-way track to a one-party system that America seems to be on, um, the the way that they're going, whoever kind of takes the lead in the Republican Party, whether that be Trump's Republicans or um, um, not anti-Trump Republicans, but just I call them more principled, but that's a biased term. What I would call more principled Republicans, um, it that will really determine not just the future of the of the of the Republican Party, but also the future, I think, of the United States of America by and large, because. 
while I think the two-party system is a, a massive scam and a monopoly on power, I also believe that since they are the two parties who have that monopoly on power and have the sway of influence that they do have, that, um, <clears throat> that they, um, I do believe that since they do have the sway that they, that they have, that, um, what they believe and how they believe it is very, very important because it could be the difference between America falling to a, into the arms of a one-party dictatorship um, or remaining somewhat democratic um, and enforcing good democracy and good government in general. Um, I don't know if I really have anything more to say that, about that other than that. I just, I obviously hope that the Republican Party would go in the, in the, uh, in the direction of, you know, I'm conservative, but I also think January 6th was a terrible, terrible day and, and is the worst of our party and our ideology. I, I would hope it would be a, a waking moment. And, and I've, I'm glad it's been a waking moment for um, <clears throat> for Mitch McConnell. And I'm very disappointed in Kevin McCarthy for doubling down on the delusion, um, trying to uphold um, ideological supremacy rather than having a moment of, self of self-reflection and understanding that maybe you just aren't perfect and good and there's not, you know, instead of trying to move the goalposts and reshift definitions and reshift rhetoric to, to make you out as a good guy who can do absolutely no wrong. That's just shady. And I'm blown away that American, that the American people believe any of the BS that comes from those type of types of people, uh, Republican or Democrat. Um, and I think it just goes to show the amount of information that Americans just don't have a grasp on when it comes to these type of issues and the amount of sway that these parties have over voters in general. And um, I only can hope that the Republicans with principle will win out this little this little schism. Um, otherwise, uh, that may spell out the worst for both their party and the United States of America, um, by and large. <clears throat> so our final piece of news today, our final piece of news, Florida Governor Ron DeSantis has signaled some minor support for um, for a, um, I call it an anti-controversy school bill, um, titled the Don't Say Gay Bill by liberal um, critics in Florida. Sorry, I'm just double-checking that this is... Yes. Florida Governor Ron DeSantis voiced his support for a bill that would prohibit the discussion of sexual orientation and gender identity in the state's primary schools. Asked by reporters in a Miami event on Monday, he said it was entirely inappropriate for teachers to be having conversations with students about gender identity, citing instances of them telling children, don't worry, don't pick your gender yet, and also hiding classroom lessons from parents. <laughs> Schools need to be teaching kids to read, to write, DeSantis said. They need to teach them science, history. We need more civics and understanding the U.S. Constitution, what makes our country unique, all those basic stuff. All those basic things. That's not English. The larger issue with all this is that parents must have a seat at the table when it comes to what's going on in their schools, he added. Although DeSantis stopped short of coming... Committing to sign the bill into law, it was the first time the Republican governor signaled his support for the measure since it was proposed by the state's House of Representatives last month. Uh, echoing DeSantis, proponents of the parents' parental rights and education bill, dubbed by critics as the Don't Say Gay bill, argued that discussions about LGBTQ issues are not age-appropriate for students. And following the governor's comments, a nearly identical state Senate version of the bill passed Florida's Senate Education Committee on Tuesday along party lines. But the measure's opponents contend that the bill would be detrimental to the mental health of states' LGBTQ children and teachers, preventing them from openly talking about themselves and their families. Um, I'm going to stop there because I don't think I need much more to um, have some thrown in my commentary. It's interesting because I, when I look at these instances of education, the problem is, first of all, I just want to be very clear, if you think that 
college and, and high school and the, you know, if you think that educators are brainwashing your children and are biased, what makes you on earth think that your parents are not biased? What? <laughs> like, listen, if educators are biased and are trying to brainwash your children, your parents are most definitely trying to brainwash your children. Like, like they have no responsibility whatsoever to tell your children the truth. Your parents can tell you whatever they believe, whether or not it's whether or not, um, you know, actual data supports their opinion. However, I do understand the argument of allowing your parents to have a seat at the table when it comes to your education. I think that I think that's a fair point to make. You know, you're, you're, the parents are enrolling their children in public education, and as democratically elected or democratically elected parents, no, as 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 democratically involved citizens of their country I, of, I, and of their state, I think it's important for them to be able to have a say, at, at least in in public education, to be like, hey, can you at least brief us on what you're doing, and can can we have voice our opinions on that? Because Given that public education is a state-sponsored responsibility, I, I believe that the people have a choice. And I think that that's a good thing to give people an option there. It, one, allows them to perhaps educate themselves a bit more, become more um, intellectually inclined in, the, in those problems and in those issues, as well as it, it, um, it what's the word? It encourages civic responsibility and civic duty, which is something that in America can often be incredibly underwhelming. However... I worry that um, Republicans may manipulate that push for civic responsibility and um, engagement in their children's education as a means to push their ideological agenda. Ironically, to do the thing that they are claiming it's doing as a form of rhetoric against people who disagree with them. So I want us to be careful on the line we tread, though I... My dog is one at me. Zoe, I am not coming out to talk to you. I am literally in the middle of my podcast. <laughs> anyway... So while I do think that that kind of civic responsibility is not only important but a good thing, I do think we need to be careful. It says primary schools, and I, if my understanding is correct, I never went to a primary school. I went straight to elementary school, and I was held back a grade because I didn't like it or something. Oh, no, I remember what his mom was. So I don't know why I'm getting my personal life here, but um, basically, so my mom was a kindergarten, or she was like a, I think a K through 12 educator, like a kindergarten teacher for a long time. And when I was born, we were going to homeschool all four of us. Um, and so for the first, what would have been my kindergarten year, my mom actually would, um, would teach me stuff there, the stuff you would learn in kindergarten. So by the time I uh, was enrolled in public education, which happened, um, as a completely separate story that I won't tell you about, but we ended up enrolling me in public education. So the year I enrolled, I was supposed to be enrolled in kindergarten. Well, technically, because of my mother's education, I could have just gone straight to first grade, but I think we had a discussion or something to that matter, and I chose to go and redo kindergarten. It, it, it's an interesting thing. Um, regardless of that, where was I going with that point? I was telling you an anecdote. Now, I don't remember what the point I was making there. What was it about? Teacher, parents involved... Student, students and I have no idea. I, well, now you know that. I have no idea where I was going with that point. Primary ed? Oh, because pri I didn't go to primary school. <laughs> My brain. Okay. Anyway, so because that that point is I didn't go to primary school. I don't know why I had to tell you all that to make that point. <laughs> but um, point is, um, I assume that's fairly young people. And I don't know. Maybe that's a conversation we ha need to have. I think that's a conversation we need to have. When is it appropriate to start talking about... Um, sexual identity and gender identity. And I think regardless of when we talk, start talking about it, because personally, I believe that's a 
late middle school, like eighth grade and, and all of high school thing. Anytime before that, and I think you're pushing it, I think it's worth I think it's worth doing in the same increments that you do sort of sex education, which is ironic because I actually opted out of almost every sex education class that was offered to me. Um, I'm not going into that because if I go into it, I'll forget the point I'm making. Um, I think that it might be worth doing similar to sex education, at least in my state, where you were introduced to certain aspects of the topic, I believe in fourth grade, and then you do one class on it, um, uh, you, well, you do more and more increments of it, um, a whole session dedicated to the topic that gets more and more in detail on the different aspects of the thing, um, I believe every grade period or every other grade period, all the way up until ninth grade in high school. I think that doing something similar to that would be helpful and beneficial for students um, everywhere on those topics. And I think that would be, I don't know, I think that might work. Um, it's just an idea. I'm just throwing ideas out because I think this is something that needs to be talked about. I think when it term, in terms of what's being talked about and when it's talking about, I think doing it in, excuse me, in increments matters. And, and you've got to kind of really think, I mean, there were some reports of a teacher teaching children about what kinds of like sex they like in, in eighth grade. And a kid came home who said, who didn't even know what oral was until the teacher said, said something about it in the test. I don't even remember it. It was some, something like that's really, you really should have thought about that beforehand. And I think, I actually think that by not having education about topics um, like gender identity and sexuality, that's why we have these issues where parents and where parents and teachers and children are all on different levels and students are learning things that either they don't need to be learning about just yet or stuff like that. Ultimately, if you don't want your kids learning about what it means to be um, gay or lesbian or trans and you just don't like that and blah, 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 well, pull your kid out then, okay? Because that's a thing that exists in society and they need to know about it. That's my take on that, okay? If you don't like children knowing about stuff about being um, gay or lesbian or being in the LGBTQ and what it means to have a gender identity and and admitting that it is a complicated thing, you know, it's not a, a, a one-and-done thing. You know, talk about the, the different um, research... Sorry, I've got an itch on my back. Um, talk about the different research. You know, admit the comp... Or, um, not admit... Uh, reinforce the complexity of the issue in and of itself as you do in the other um, subjects that you are supposed to teach those children um, because I think that's part of part of the problem however not knowing how in-depth and how much of the complexities you're supposed to talk about at different times by keeping it out of schools altogether by not having it as a part of the curriculum you're actively not teaching them what it means to be a member of society this is a thing that happens in society that's why we have to talk about slavery in schools that's why we have to talk about the holocaust in schools that's why we have to talk about government and civic duty in schools that's why we should be talking about taxes and personal finance but it differs depending on what school you will go on which is totally unrelated into a, into an opinion of mine where I think um, schools should be federally funded as opposed to locally funded. I think that in part feeds into the into systemic racism in the United States as well as into um, multiple other issues with schooling. But that's a completely separate topic for a, a different day. Point is, there are things in this world, in this society, in our nation that happen, that are a thing that people are, that people experience, that people will be subjected to. By effectively not including it as a part of their education at all, you are actively harming their ability to be a well-informed citizen of this nation and of your state. Now, I know I'm one to lean in and tell a state what to do, but I'm sorry, 
people being gay and people saying they don't identify with one gender or the other, regardless of what you think of it scientifically or morally or whatever, that is a thing that happens. It is a thing that is happening in our society. It is a thing that people experience. And by not teaching children that, again, and really the metrics of it need to be discussed, but by effectively not teaching people that in school at all, you are you are not doing your job as an educational institution. And I think that this is a highly reactionary bill by Republicans to push a culturally a cultural agenda that fits their preferred narrative and not fully assesses the facts of the situation. There's a lot of issues. Like I said, multifaceted. Okay, it takes a lot. It's going to be a lot. And if you just treat it as an all or nothing solution, that's completely disregarding all of the complexities of the problem and just goes to show that you're not only a bad leader, you're an incompetent one, which takes us to the finale. This week, we were reminded of a stark truth that Republicans probably don't want to hear. They are not the savior of America from bad liberal policies. While the Democratic Party is making a mockery of itself, the Republicans have done nothing to ensure they are a magically superior alternative, instead opting for catchphrases and soundbites to manipulate people into being afraid of the other side when they are just as bad. Like a buffed-up meathead, the GOP is bullying voters into believing that they are an all-righteous group of crusaders here to vanquish the Democrats in the midterms. But once again, they've completely overshot their rhetoric. Instead of making a case for their ideas in government, they have declared war on all ideological policies that aren't theirs, following in the footsteps of a disgraced former president to prove that they care more about ideological dominance than they do the protection of freedom and security for all Americans, including the ones that don't vote red. That's it for this week. Thanks so much for listening, and it's been great having you. Make sure to follow my Instagram. That's at Huey Noah. That's at H-U-G-H-U-I-N-O-A-H. That's at Huey Noah. And subscribe to Under the Stars on YouTube for the best moments and my favorite clips from the episode. You can also find Under the Stars on Spotify for the video and Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts for the audio. Wherever you listen, make sure to give it a review, whether it's good or bad. I don't really care. Um, I'd appreciate it, one, because it helps me to make a better podcast, two, um, it does increase it around uh, on those platforms. I'd be greatly appreciated. I'd also be greatly appreciated, if you'd like to, to support my show through my merch and my books in the shop section of my website. Thanks so much for listening in, and I'll see you next week. Bye-bye.